fresh start. Get your hands up, get your hands up, get your get your hands up. Beating hard, moving on up, moving on up. Yeah. Let the light get you dancing. It's outstanding. Now you're feeling so alive. You're on a roll and you know you're gonna show. Yeah, it's time. is on point with David Peck. Well, good evening and welcome to the show. It is on point and this is David Peck. We've got a great show planned for you tonight and I guess I, I kind of say that every night or I've been saying that every night, but it's really true. What a, what a what a pleasure it's been to have some of the guests on the show that we've been able to chat with. We've been, you know, we've talked about politics and social issues. We talked about hunger and poverty. Uh, we have George Strombolopoulos on the show tonight. We've got Dr. Ner Lipsman uh, coming in to talk about some uh, new technology uh, around um, in the neurological field. We've got a lecturer coming in uh, to speak to us um, about global supply chain issues. And of course, the panel is going to be here and Glenn will be back and off point and, and off putting. And um, yeah, so stay tuned. Um, uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. And I hope you are too. You know, uh, really bright sort of music off the top. Beautiful sunny day, I hope, for most of you, wherever you are listening from or whenever you're listening to this. You know, we, science, the fruits of applied science are going to be a theme, I think, to some degree for, for tonight's show. And uh, did you know that squirrels can actually teach robots a lesson about agility and about recovery? I, I didn't know that, but I'm uh, just checking out what's going on in the world this past year or so scientifically. Scavenger beetles apparently walk upside down beneath the water surface. How cool is that? I have no idea what that's going to mean, but maybe someday we're going to learn something about, oh, I don't know, we're certainly learning things about beetles, but what is that going to tell us uh, um, about how we live our lives and how we interact with the world? A cancer-defying gecko and his uh, new 900 babies could inspire new melanoma treatments. Look it up. There's all kinds of things going on in the scientific world. And I hope our first guest here, well, I know our first guest here is going to talk a little bit about that. And like I said, a little bit of a theme here with us tonight. We have Larry Gifford here with us. He's the National Director of Talk Radio for Chorus Entertainment and host of When Life Gives You Parkinson's podcast. Larry, thanks for joining me tonight on the show. Hey, Larry, are you with us? Yes. Hello. How's it going? Oh, there we go. Okay. We got you. Oh, wow. I thought, wow. I thought we had a, a, here I am talking about these, all these wonderful new scientific discoveries and we can't get a clear signal. It's. Oh, uh, let's just it, blame the Parkinson's. Let's, well, we'll blame something, but maybe, maybe <laughs> we won't go there. Listen, Larry, thanks for joining. So national director of talk radio for Chorus Entertainment. That's true. Yes. So, so are you like my boss right now? Yeah, kind of. Maybe your boss is boss. Maybe my boss's boss. Yeah, that's probably exactly what it is. Well, listen, thanks for taking some time to chat with us tonight about uh, about your podcast. And, and I'm hoping we can talk a little bit about PD Avengers as well, because I just think sure. it's such a, well, not only is it, is it uh, once again, a challenge and an affirmation uh, for all of us, but I think it, it's, it might even be a model for nonprofits going forward. Tell us, tell us a little bit about, um, I, I don't know if you've read uh, this new, uh, headline. We're going to get into maybe a little bit more of the nitty gritty with our next guest, but an artificial neuron is, is 
is showing that it can receive and release dopamine. And my father, uh, Harold Peck, he, he had Parkinson's for many, many years. So I do know a fair bit about the D's, but mm-hmm. you know, so much I don't know. Larry, can you talk to us a little bit about these types of you know, headlines and discoveries and things and, and how it applies? And, and maybe give us a little overview on your own story, because it's... Uh, sure. Yeah, sounds fascinating. Yeah, so uh, what, what I'll tell you first, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm also a member of the Michael J. Fox Foundation Patient Council, so I get access to a lot of these studies and whatnot. And one of the things to be very careful about with these big headlines is it's a, there's a lot of promise out there. Mm. But science takes time. It takes a lot of money. And so when you can do something in, in a, a Petri dish, that's awesome. But then you're still about eight years away from it being viable for the market. Um, so we just need to make sure that we measure our excitement towards all this, but I've seen some remarkable early, uh, positive signs and there's like, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of several studies that are going to be coming out in the next month that are going to show signs of, you know, possible biomarkers, which is like every, every disease pretty much has a biomarker. If you get high blood pressure, you know, you, you, you know, you have a, you, an issue there, but we, there's no, nothing to measure your Parkinson's. There's no. There's no measurement, no no biomarker. So we're we're really looking for one of those things where we can identify the Parkinson's early on, and and then begin to stop it in its tracks, uh, which is what this new uh, with this new um, uh, protein that, that you're talking about uh, could possibly do. Well, I, I I'm I'm familiar with biologic drugs and, and some of the things that they've been able to do. This wasn't there a malaria vaccine, or at least the beginnings of a malaria vaccine this year as well. I mean, some incredible things are happening. Again, the fruits of applied applied science are allowing you and I to have this conversation tonight. I mean, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that brilliant? Um, so, but you're but what I'm hearing from you is with these types of headlines when they first come out, kind of ease into it. Do your research. It's not it's not overnight. Um, but but there is hope. There, there is hope, you know, and, and 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 we're seeing more and more momentum. I mean, this year uh, I was part of a, a, a thirty-person uh, WHO workshop for the last couple of years, and we released our recommendations for sort of global standards for the UN nations this year. It's the first time uh, that the United that the World Health Organization has ever addressed Parkinson's as an individual subject. Congress just in the U.S. just introduced a bill, uh, the most uh, most prolific, uh, biggest, uh, most profound Parkinson's-focused bill in the history of the U.S. Congress mm. is now before the House. So what we're seeing is Parkinson's is actually the fastest-growing neurological condition in the world, and it's it's moving forward at such an exponential pace, they don't know how to stop it. And so the mm. amount of people today that have Parkinson's will double in the next 18 years. Yeah, that's wild. About 10 million people globally. Is that right? That's true. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And is, you know, I mean, we're, we're kind of, uh, you know, um, approaching this from a pretty, pretty wide sort of perspective, which I think is fascinating and super interesting. Um, is, is, is there an environmental issue? Is it that testing is getting better? Uh, why, why is it, do you think that it's, you know, uh, uh, growing? I think I read somewhere as I was, you know, digging a little deeper, every two and a half minutes, somebody's dying from a Parkinson related or not Parkinson related, but Parkinson's disease. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a combination of things. One, we're, sure. we're, we're, we're getting better at, at, at diagnosing Parkinson's, um, especially amongst those groups that aren't traditionally thought of as people that could have Parkinson's. So you think of women, you think of young people like myself, most people think of Parkinson's as a sort of an old white guy's disease. 
And uh, it, it can affect anybody, anywhere, anytime, any place, any age. And so what? The, yeah, uh, go ahead. Sorry there. I was just going to say that. W w so so when you think about improving, you know, just diagnoses of Parkinson's disease, right. uh, like we, we have no idea how how um, what the numbers really are like in Africa. Uh, that continent is sort of a mystery because there's maybe one neurologist per country. Right. There's parts of there's parts of Africa where if you have Parkinson's, you're still considered a witch. Yeah, so much so much work to do when it comes to education and, and capacity building. I mean, you're you're pretty young to have been diagnosed with Parkinson's. Um, I'm not exactly sure the age. My father, uh, or at least we think that my father was diagnosed. Um, because it seems to me that when they diagnose you, you've you've already had the disease for several years before that. Is that is that right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean it's it's a slow onset, and so sure by the time you, you you don't really get diagnosed with Parkinson's until you've lost about eighty percent of your um, dopamine producing brain cells, because that's when the the effects start to show when the tremor comes on or your gait changes or you know there's a lot, there's probably forty possible symptoms with Parkinson's and. We're each dealt our own little special hand. <laughs> yeah, so this is where this new study, this artificial neuron that's receiving and releasing dopamine, could be could be incredible. Can you talk a little bit about that dopamine? Because so many of us have it, or or have enough we of all it. Have I suppose. It, yeah, 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 yeah but, we all but, have dopamine. It's great. It's a great. Uh, it's one of those feel good <laughs> drugs in your brain, right? Right. Uh, yeah. You, you know, dopamine me up. Uh, but what, right. what happens? It, it it's also. Uh, a, a part of your neurotransmitter process. So in order to communicate from your brain to your body, it releases dopamine almost to like uh, oil uh, is released in your car and it's in combination with the gasoline. Uh, so in order for you to move, uh, you know, if I want to pick up a cup of coffee, I have to communicate to my arm and my hand, pick up the coffee, bend my fingers, bring it up to my mouth. We don't think about that. But I actually, if I'm not on dopamine replacement, I do have to think about that. And oftentimes it's a failure. If I'm going to walk down the street, I have to think about moving my feet and the heel to toe and all these things that become automatic for, for most of us. When you have Parkinson's, they become very, um, everything is very deliberate. Everything is very mm. intentional because we don't have that communication that's laid down to, that allows the brain uh, to, to communicate easily. Um, and so what ends up happening when you're first diagnosed, usually one part of your body is slower than the other parts, which is why you see a lot of people falling because their, their steps are out of line. Um, and so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's actually, it's, it's amazing how fast it can, can take hold. I take medicine every two and a half hours just so I can, I can operate on a daily basis and do my job and be a, be a dad and uh, be good, hopefully a good husband. Uh, and, uh, but if I didn't, if I miss one of those, I'm, I'm like a zombie. I can barely move. I can, you know, my wife will go, did you miss your medicine? I'm, I'm like in my own little bubble. Uh, and if I miss two, then I probably can't move my hand enough to operate my phone or put my hand in my pocket um, to pay it, a cabbie or whatever. It, you know? it really, you know, as I'm listening to you, to Larry, it, it really is a lesson in, in, in um, being, being thankful, being grateful, or, you know, try, trying to stay present. I end up, you know, um, uh, 
I end up in the future all the time. I'm always on what's next. You know, that's one right. of my greatest liabilities. And uh, but I'm I'm getting better at that and, and and staying present with either my kids or the book I'm reading or or whatever it is I'm doing. But neurological diseases, it seems to me, and so many are are are. Um, can I say they're sort of opportunities to to rethink things? At least they are for me. I know when I first read uh, Michael J. Fox's uh, Lucky Man. I mean, what a title. For a book, right? you know, I mean, talk talk about a positive attitude, and it, you, you sound the same to me, Larry. And I want to. We just got to cut to a quick break here, and I want to talk about your PD Avengers, this this nonprofit that you've co-founded. I want to hear a little more about your podcast, but I so love what I'm what I'm sensing is a real positivity around this, Larry. It's and and, and I think that's a that's an amazing thing. We've, we've been chatting with Larry Gifford. He's the national director of Talk Radio for Course Entertainment and host of When Life Gives You Parkinson's podcast. My name is David Peck. You're listening to On Point. Welcome back. You're listening to On Point. My name is David Peck, and we have Larry Gifford here with us today, uh, this evening, actually, the National Director of Talk Radio for Chorus Entertainment and host of When Life Gives You Parkinson's podcast. A uh, little play on When Life Gives You Lemonade. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, um, uh, or sorry, When Life Gives You Lemons, Larry. Um, are, are you a lucky man? You know, we kind of, we, before we went to oh, the break, we, we, yeah, we, well. we talked about Michael J. Fox's bi- uh, first book, his autobiography, which is brilliant, by the way. Yeah. A lucky man? A, a totally lucky man. Um, I, I I have met, I've had the opportunity to really travel the world and be a part of conversations and meet people and, and, and frankly, a lot of new friends. Um, it's a it's a great community um, that you know a lot of people are like hey I, I love you guys but I wish I would have never met you uh, but right. uh, <laughs> it, it, other than that it's given me purpose in life and, you know I thought I thought my purpose in life was radio I thought I, my my idea was uh, that I was helping people in the world communicate to, to be informed to to you know uh, have conversation and find uh, you know commonality and. I've been doing that for 30 years and then I, then I got Parkinson's and I realized it just was you know preparing me in order to share my story and and advocate for Parkinson's uh, globally um and, and and so it's really it's been extremely rewarding. Can you tell us a little bit about your podcast which I I, I know is a, a joint partnership or you have some kind of a partnership with the, the Parkinson Foundation in Canada which is parkinson.ca um best of 2018 playlist by Apple um, it's, it's you telling your story, young, young onset Parkinson's that was it 2017? 2017, I was 45 years old when I was diagnosed, uh, coming up on my, uh, fifth anniversary here, uh, and, uh, I guess later this month on the 18th. Um, and I, um, I probably had been, I've been, I, I had symptoms for about 10 years prior to my diagnosis, but they were all different. It started with my gait, with my walk. And then just like little things would happen that I thought was just because I was getting old or I was overweight or I'd never been 40 before. Um, and, right. and so you just never, you don't know what you don't know, right? Right, right, uh, right. And so um, once I was diagnosed, uh, you know, at 45, you're like, what is, is this the end of it all? Like, what about my plans? What about our future? What about, you know, we, uh, you know, I want to, you know, am I going to be able to see my kid go, go off to, you know, get married? Like, you, and, and the answers are, yeah, you can still have a fulfilling life with Parkinson's disease, but it doesn't mean it's an easy road to hoe. Um, and so what we, what we, I really wanted to show, cause I was searching for it. I'm as an audio guy, I wanted a podcast. 
of not just the doctors and the researchers, but I want to hear somebody's story. Right. Well, when I started looking for that, I couldn't find that. So I said, well, oh. I, I'm a storyteller and I, I've you know, been a radio all my life. Maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. So that's, that's you know, I launched that uh, about a year after my diagnosis. And um, we've been following, you know, m not just my disease and, and how the family reacts to it, but also the people we encounter and we profile as I learn things, I, the audience learns things. And so we have about a hundred episodes up there now and we're still cranking them out. And uh, it's, 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 you know, it's created a whole community uh, in the Parkinson's world. We just hit 400,000 downloads. That's amazing. Well, I, I mean, that's incredible. Is I mean, we, we all have a story to tell, right? And I mean, you, you found, found this niche that clearly that there was a need for it. And that's, that's absolutely brilliant. There's so much, to learn through other people just sitting back and kind of listening right about empathy and compassion and 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 so on um yeah congratulations it's uh, it's absolutely brilliant um so you know connected is this uh, global alliance to end parkinson's you're you're you're, you're a pretty busy guy right yeah, uh, so yeah. pd avengers you're you're going you're going top down and bottom up you're bottom up with the narrative and the story and the individual and the personal but you're going after uh, even bills to end Parkinson's. Can, can you tell us a little bit about that too? Yeah, so the, the PD Avengers um, is an organization that was uh, created on the heels of the book that came out at the beginning of the uh, of the pandemic. Uh, it was called Ending Parkinson's Disease. And it was really a guide on some of the things that could be done, that needed to be done in order for us to get enough attention, to raise enough money, to, to, to get enough research to, to do something about ending Parkinson's. And I, I've met with the authors and we had some like a book club meetings with some of my friends that have Parkinson's. And after a while, the authors were like, hey, you know, this is like a, you know, a, 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 it's supposed to be a, a book of action. We're not just right. supposed to talk about it. You guys going to like do something? And so right. we created the Avengers um, and, and it, we, we're calling it, the, you know, it's also registered as a global alliance to end Parkinson's disease. We have and 105 pdavengers.com right pdavengers.com and we have 105 uh global organizations from the michael j fox foundation to parkinson canada to parkinson's new zealand and uh, uh you know all over the world you know, uh, all throughout africa all all the continents um, and uh, we 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 work with them we're like a net organization that we fall on top of them all and bring them together so they are communicating with each other and they're aware of uh, each other's campaigns and they can help each other. Um, you know, some people have access to Levodopa, but they don't know how to get it on the ground. Some people are on the ground that need Levodopa. And so what I do is I put them together. And then the, the other, the other aspect of that is we have individual members. Anybody can be a PD Avenger. You don't have to have mm. Parkinson's or even know anybody with Parkinson's. You can be a doctor, you can be a researcher. Everybody needs to take, take, uh, a, a stance, you know, and all you're saying is, yep, I support what you're doing. I support. And as an advocate, you can do anything. You can tell a story. Yeah. You, you can tell people about the podcast or about you sign people up to the PD Avengers. And we, we have 5,800 uh, people that now registered from 92 different countries. Um, and we've been, we, we're going to celebrate our second year in a couple of months. That's amazing. I mean, it's again, I think it's a real lesson for us all, you know, to, to step into uh, issues and problems. And it sounds like you've done it in a community. Uh, you know, the whole idea of rolling your sleeves up, I think it's remarkable. And a advocacy and activism, public engagement works, it seems to me. Larry, would you agree? I, I do. And I think people are intimidated by it. I get a lot of, a lot right. of emails and 
Yeah, because it's, there are big words. They mean, you know, sure. big things happen because of the, but it takes a bunch of people doing a lot of small things oh, to amazing. move mountains. So uh, what you, don't have, what, you yeah. don't have to do it all yourself. You don't have to do it all yourself. Great, great advice uh, and a wonderful note to to uh, to end our segment. Sadly, Larry, thanks so much for taking a little bit of time to to go a little deeper and a little more intimate with us here on uh, Point and, and chatting about your own issues and, and situation and also about you know how you've stepped in. I really appreciate it. We've been chatting with Larry Gifford, the National Director of Talk Radio for Chorus Entertainment and host of When Life Gives You Parkinson's. It's the podcast. Check it out uh, where you listen to your podcast. Larry, thanks so much for your time tonight. Hey, thanks, David. You've been listening to On Point, and my name is David Peck. Well, welcome back to On Point. My name is David Peck, and uh, we have a, another guest here with us tonight to chat about uh, this, uh, what I'm going to call ongoing conversation. I mean, what isn't an ongoing conversation, really? But when you're talking about you know, the fruits of applied science and the scientific community and, and what's happening in the, in the healthcare industry globally with the advancement and, and, and even this announcement that Larry and I were talking about, super important implications for other fields as well. And we have a doctor here with us, a neurosurgeon, actually, Dr. Nur Lipsman. Uh, he is the principal investigator and neurosurgeon and director of the Harkyle Center for Neuromodulation at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Center. Dr. Lipsman, thank you for joining us on the show tonight. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hey, Dr. Lipsman, did I get that right? Is it the Harkyle or Harkyle Center? Yeah, Harkyle. Exactly. No, Har- it, right. is, it is Harkyle Center. Exactly. Nice. That's good. That's good. So, hey, let's listen. Let's start, step right in. I don't know if you heard any of our, our guests before, Larry Gifford, who, who's been a... He's been diagnosed with Parkinson's for about five years. He's uh, works with Chorus Entertainment, director of Talk Radio, has a podcast. He's he's working on advocacy and and activism and public engagement and all these wonderful things, telling people's stories. You're kind of working on the other side of this. And when I looked at your CV, uh, you know, there's a couple words on there I'm not sure I can pronounce. Um, can can you? Can you tell us a little bit more about some of what's going on and, 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 and uh, you know, with respect to even this new discovery uh, of this artificial neuron and about releasing dopamine, but also deep brain stimulation? That's another yeah. piece of technology that's just mind boggling. Absolutely. No, I mean, I think that's great. And, um, you know, the, the work of your colleague really underscores, you said it right. I mean, uh, it's not so much we work on the other side of it. We really work hand in hand, uh, you know, with mm. patients to try to develop right develop these technologies uh you know so parkinson's disease is common uh it's very challenging it's uh, among the most common what we call neurodegenerative conditions so it's a condition where dopamine in the brain gradually over time begins to deplete uh, and the system and the brain that's implicated and that's involved in that is going to be the motor system mostly. So that's where you get most of the symptoms of Parkinson's, the slowing down and the tremor and the rigidity, et cetera. So most of the time patients get referred to a neurologist and a neurologist will make the diagnosis and, and often start patients on, on medication. What happens over time, because that underlying process continues, that loss right, of neurons right. and loss of dopamine continues. and um, the scientific field and neuroscience and neurologists and neurosurgeons have been laser focused for the last few decades on trying to stop that process on trying to alter what we call the natural history of Parkinson's disease. So that inexorable kind of uh, degeneration of, the, of those neurons. And how do we make that dopamine stop from being depleted over time? And different kinds of technologies have been tried. 
So, so far, uh, a lot of the treatments that we have are what we call symptomatic treatments. They treat the right. symptoms of Parkinson's. So they may treat tremor and they may treat the rigidity and other aspects. But so far, the field is lacking a, uh, um, a treatment that changes the history, changes that scope and that slope of the disease. And that's really what we're after. And that's where different kinds of technologies like deep brain stimulation and the kind of work that you're mentioning, the artificial neuron, which is very much in the, in the early stages, but quite promising, you know, will we'll shed light on, on, on where we're going. I, I, I don't even, you know, it's, it, it, you know, standing on the other side of this, I, I started out, uh, you know, in my younger years as a construction worker, you know, electrician, still pay my non-working dues to the local 353 here in Toronto, the IBEW, and quite proud of that, actually. Still use the same pair of pliers I bought, you know, four <laughs> years ago. Your your tools, your instruments are a little yeah. more delicate, a little finer. Um, I don't I don't know if you heard the, the the segment, but my father had Parkinson's and he had a palindotomy. Yeah. And I remember yeah. him telling yeah. us how he was wide awake for this. Uh, and yeah. He came out of this, what, what would it have been about a seven or eight hour surgery yeah. awake on the table and he had a band-aid on his head yeah fascinating you know fascinating. Yeah. well it really is can you talk a little bit about these some of these complexities yeah. and, and, and sure. it's just it's it's kind of i use the word i'm using it again mind-boggling no yeah. pun intended but it no, truly, truly is it's fascinating because palidotomy is still actually used uh, we still use palidotomy uh, to try symptoms and that's one of the you know really interesting things about neurosurgery and surgery for parkinson's and and what we try to do is match up the surgery and the treatment to the kinds of symptoms that patients have. So what we know and what we've known now really since, let's say, the 70s and 80s, is that there are circuits in the brain that aren't functioning properly once that dopamine is depleted. And that's the motor circuit of the brain. Right. And then we know that those circuits are made up, the way that I think about them is kind of cities and highways. We have cities in the brain that are connected with highways, which is different kinds of tracks in the brain to other cities in the brain. And when there's dysfunction in one of those cities, it causes a network-wide issue. So what procedures like pallidotomy do, do and what deep brain stimulation does, it tries to very precisely intervene in one of those cities and in one of those highways in order to influence the entire circuit to reset it and to try to address one of the symptoms. So what pallidotomy does, it's a procedure that generates a lesion in the brain, a permanent hole in the brain to try to destroy one of those, let's call them cities, one of those regions in an effort to reset the activity in the brain to, to treat a specific symptom. And what DBS tries to do, and this started around mid-90s, is to replace pallidotomy, replace those lesion procedures with a more reversible procedure. So at DBS, what deep brain stimulation is, is a kind of pacemaker for the brain. It's basically a procedure where rather than everybody's heard of pacemakers for the heart, where you have a battery and the electrodes go to the heart to stimulate the heart or to pace it if the heart rate is too slow, here the electrodes go into the brain and they kind of jam that very same circuit. So rather than causing a, a permanent hole, they, they overwhelm it with a tiny bit of electricity so that it, it disrupts that circuit and causes the symptoms to, to improve. So it really is a kind of pacemaker but for the brain, it's a reversible procedure and one that is becoming really the standard of care for patients with Parkinson's who have reached the limit of what medical treatments can do. And, and so far, about 200,000 patients around the world have undergone DPS wow. in the last 20 years. So it's really, it's Health Canada approved for condition for Parkinson's, for a condition known as essential tremor, for epilepsy, and for dystonia. That's another kind of motor 
condition. Highly effective, uh, obviously offered in, in, in highly specialized centers where we work very, very closely with our neurology colleagues to choose the best patients that we can match up the treatment to them. But pallidotomy is still in our tool chest, something we still use. And as you said, um, you know, oftentimes patients go home the next day after this procedure. Yeah, it's, it's, it really is remarkable. I mean, a question I always have for these types of treatments is where do, where do you start? Like, where where did this start? And if I'm, I'm maybe when we come back from the break, we can talk a little bit more about some of the implications and, and some of the other uh, diseases. And, and, and um, uh, I forget what you actually referred to them as. I was going to say slow onset, but uh, yeah. neurological, not a neurological disorder. What was it? Neurodegenerative conditions. Yeah. Neuro- neurological neurodegenerative. Yeah. Neuro- yeah, exactly. neurodegenerative yeah. conditions. Yeah. Well, listen. Let's let's chat a little bit more about that. And sure. I I love too. I love your um, uh, I love your positivity as well, Doctor Lebson. Yeah. It's, it's, and your your passion for this. It's it's really yeah. quite remarkable. We'll we'll, 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 we'll for sure. Yeah, we'll come right back. We're chatting with Dr. Nur Lipson. He's uh, the principal investigator for neuro- and neurosurgeon and director of the HeartQuail Center for Neuromodulation at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Center. My name is David Peck. You're listening to On Point. Welcome back to On Point. I'm your host, David Peck. We have a special guest here with us tonight, Dr. Nur Lipsman. He is a neurosurgeon and director of the Harquail Center for Neuromodulation at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Center. Dr. Lipson, thank you again for taking some time out of your evening to chat with us about um, this uh, fascinating uh, part of, I guess, well, we're talking about a lot, aren't we? But thank, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. It's, it's uh, I mean, how long ago would this have been considered, you know, black, you know, dark magic? <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, it's and what's interesting is that uh, so surgeons have been involved in treating neurosurgeons specifically involved in treating neurological and and even psychiatric disorders. You know, going back you know six or seven decades since the thirties sure. and forties. But obviously, you know, the tools were very rudimentary, very basic back then. We didn't have any brain imaging. We didn't have any really really much of anything. It wasn't until like the sixties and seventies where um, things really started to take off, and that's when. The tools became much finer, precision really increased, brain imaging started to really come of age. And once you get into really high-resolution imaging with with MRIs in the 80s and 90s, that's when we really started to say, okay, let's use these very fine tools that we're using, these probes and these electrodes and these pacemakers, and apply them to, to, to these conditions that are very common, that are debilitating, challenging, and try to find the best possible treatment for them. And and what's interesting is that it's been an exponential curve. So the interest mm-hmm. in, in things like deep brain stimulation, when we looked at this a few years ago, you know, the curve is just exponential. It's not just, you know, every year, a few papers, a few publications, a few research projects. It's hundreds of papers and, and studies that are being done every year, and it's just growing. So there's an intense amount of interest in, in trying to pair the latest technology with with these conditions that are so common and debilitating. Yeah, it's it really is uh, remarkable. The the you know you used the phrase earlier, hand in hand. Yeah. How 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 much, or I guess you could call them uh, different fields, different health fields. How much uh, uh, are the the different fields talking with one another yeah. about you know deep brain stimulation? I know it's used as you had just mentioned for other things, and yeah. I've been reading up on it a little myself. Sure, it's critical. I mean, I, you, you cannot overstate just how important 
that collaboration is. And, you know, I look at it as a sort of tripartite, you know, collaboration. There's the surgeon. In the case of Parkinson's disease, there's going to be the neurologist and there's going to be the patient, uh, you know, that all of us are sort of huddled over to, to try to help. But, you know, there's a big team. There's a psychologist, there are physiotherapists, occupational therapists, social workers. You know, everybody is trying to really match up. How do we make sure that this treatment that we're offering, which is, which is a tool, how do we make sure that it fits into the life of this particular patient with this particular symptom? So, you know, what I often say is, yeah, yeah DBS is a really, it's, it's a fascinating tool. It's a really effective technology. But, you know, if you don't choose the right patients and if you don't follow them properly after surgery, you know, it's, it's, it's a useless operation. Okay. So it just makes sure that's where we have to really make sure the patients are seen properly. They're diagnosed by somebody who's an expert, for example, in movement disorders, and that they're seen in centers that have that experience so that we really choose the best possible patients, do the best possible operation, and follow them really closely to make sure that uh, nothing falls through the cracks and that we, we, we really try to give them that best possible care. And that requires constant crosstalk, constant collaboration. Mm. And, you know, we're very fortunate at Sunnybrook and other centers to work uh, in that kind of environment where there's really a seamless sort of discussion amongst all these different specialists. Oh, wow. What a, there's the soundbite for me, seamless discussion. I mean, you want, you want the community working on your behalf, especially when we're, you know, drilling holes in people's skulls yeah, and, and exactly. doing these types of operations. And uh, it just, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's good news. Speaking of good news uh, today, um, headlines about uh, a man, Newfoundland, Labrador, um, doctors from Toronto treated a man with Parkinson's deep brain stimulation. And here's the quote, I can drive again, which I couldn't do. I can go in restaurants, which I was too nervous to go to, too afraid of falling down. I can dance again, Martin said. I got my life back. This is George Martin. He's 68 years old. And there's a shot of him walking for beagles. I mean, that yeah. it really does feel a little bit like magic. It's, it's life-changing. Uh, there's no question. And that, that work, particularly that study and that, that program that was developed at, out of the University Health Network by the Movement Disorders team there, what they were able to do, because DBS, once you implant the, 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 the battery and the electrodes, that's not the end. That's really just the beginning. You need to program the device. You need to find the optimal kind of settings with, in terms of the stimulation, the brain stimulation that matches the patient's symptoms and that reduce any possible side effects. And that's a really... Um, sort of one-on-one -on -one care that requires a lot of resources and usually requires the patient coming into the hospital. So what that study showed and what they were able to do is actually do that remotely. So this patient was in Newfoundland mm. with a neurologist in Toronto, and they were able to do that remotely, no longer needing for the patient to come in for the frequent visits. So all of a sudden, DBS becomes a national resource, an international resource, where we, can, we no longer have to be in the same room in order to provide that care for patients. So really interesting work, really game-changing work, taking DBS and making it really a, a more, much more widely applicable and, and available. So we're we're coming near the end of the segment here, but I I, I I'm, I'm interested in the crossover. Maybe you've sort of alluded to this already. You know, the community of of, of healthcare workers and surgeons and so on. I don't know what does this kind of stuff happen around the water cooler? But I mean, deep brain stimulation it's being used for Tourette syndrome, Huntington's disease. But but for me, here, chronic pain and and headaches of a particular kind, according to the World Health Organization half to a third of or three quarters of all adults suffer from some kind of headache. I mean, these are huge implications we're talking about here. They are. They are. And and really what um, you know, the, the best kind of indications for deep brain stimulation are going to be diseases and conditions where we can directly link 
the patient's symptoms to a circuit in the brain that we know we mm. can access. So all of those conditions, like you said, are ones where we can we can identify, again, those cities and highways in the brain. Right. And we can specifically target with an electrode. So we know chronic pain, for example. There are regions in the brain that light up on imaging with patients in chronic pain. If we can reduce the activity in those circuits, we have a good chance of helping with chronic pain. Similarly with epilepsy and with the tics of Tourette syndrome. Wow. So yeah. tremendous promise for, for many different kinds of conditions. You know, I think I've used the re- the word remarkable uh, and mind boggling the phrase mind boggling quite quite a few times today, and it's it just once again uh, makes me want to dig a little bit deeper. I hope for others as well. Uh, it's incredible work, uh, Doctor Lipson. Thank you so thank much you. for taking the time, and I, I I hope people start to peel back some of those layers on their own and dig a little bit deeper. We've well, been thanks. chatting with yeah. Thanks for shining a light on this. Really appreciate it, and, uh, and best of luck uh, to your to your guest. And uh, thank you again. Dr. Lipsman, my name's David Peck. You're listening to On Point.